Welcome. Today we're going to be having some fun and asking kids questions about David and Goliath. Some relaxing exercises. Do your shoulders like this. Now, do you know the story about David and Goliath? No. It's cool where, like, a small guy beats a big guy. If there was a giant, I would not throw a rock at him. I would be too scared. How big do you think a giant is? Are you talking about a teenager giant, a baby giant, or an adult giant? How big do you think a baby giant is? Like, about the size of, like, like, probably as wide as the ocean. Okay, okay, that's pretty big for a baby. Do you think a 30-foot tall giant would make a good basketball player? Yes. Do you think they'd be better than Steph Curry at basketball? Well, it wouldn't really be much competition because it would only be to grab a tiny little thing and to take one step and plop it in a tiny thing. So how big do you think an adult giant is? I think that would probably be five oceans. Five oceans big. Wow, that is really, really big. Do you know what a shepherd is? What's a shepherd? So, uh, well, I don't know. You tell me. What do you think a shepherd is? like a dog, some type of dog. What do you think a shepherd does? Bite. You think a shepherd bites? Yeah. What, what do you think they bite? Fish. They bite fish? What kind of fish? Seawater fish. Okay, well, there you go, it, folks. Shepherds bite seawater fish. Have you ever used a slingshot before? Um, no, but I don't really know what that is. I've tried, but I'm afraid I'm not very good at it. Did you hit anything with a slingshot? What do you know about David? He's not from a Bible or anything. He's just my dad's friend. There are more Davids out there in the world than just the ones in the Bible. There are Davids that are your dad's friends. Do you, do you have anything else you know about the story of David and Goliath? No! Okay. I learned a lot about giants, about shepherds, about what they bite. I hope that this has been edifying for you, that you've learned a lot, and now you know more about the story of David and Goliath. <laughs> David and Goliath. If you are familiar with the Bible, you are familiar with this event uh, in history. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with David and Goliath, this great battle between the giant Goliath and the young boy David. We're in a series where we're looking at the life of David in, the, in First and Second Samuel, and we're considering what it means to be human. And to be human, I want to suggest to us today, to be human requires courage. Courage is the character to move forward when we are afraid. Let me say that again. Courage is the character to move forward when we are afraid. And I have no idea what you're bringing into this space today. But I'm sure, like me, you have stuff. You have um, challenges and fears that require courage. I was thinking about just even my group of friends, the people that are close to me. And just in the past few weeks, I I wrote down kind of some of the things that they're facing. And these, these are the things I wrote. A tumor, 
a major move, a child with learning differences, an empty nest, an unsure future in their career, an adult child buried in addiction, a difficult marriage, the loneliness of singleness, waves of anxiety that just feel like despair. And that's just my little group of friends. So I imagine for all of us, there are things that we're facing in which we need courage. And so we're gonna look at this event in scripture uh, that's not just a children's story. It's for you, it's for me. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to be in that passage. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, I just invite you. Would you speak to us today? For some, there is great fear for what is ahead. For others, there's the challenge of living with what is or what is in the past, and we need courage. But more than anything, we need your presence. And so I would ask that you speak to us today through your word, by your spirit, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, my deliverer. In Jesus' name. So before we dive into the passage, and I'm going to read some of it, and I'm going to have to tell some of it because it's a long passage. But I need to name this. I need to name what we typically tend to do with the David and Goliath story. What we tend to do is we tend to look at Goliath as the personification of our fears, right? And then we look at David. David is courage, and David just runs right at his fear. And so we name our Goliaths, and then we be like David and run after and right into your fear, right? But what Robert Alter suggests, and Robert Alter is a Jewish expert in Hebrew narrative. He's a professor at Cal Berkeley. He tells us that David and Goliath, it's not that Goliath is the personification of our fears, but what actually the author of Samuel is trying to do is put on display that David and Goliath are actually alternate approaches to courage. Their alternate approaches to facing fear. Their alternate approaches to courage. So as I read this passage and tell the story, I want you to be looking for what does Goliath courage look like? And what does David courage look like? So the scene in 1 Samuel 17, the scene is a valley. Uh, and there's two hills, and on one side of the, is the Philistine army, and on the other side is the Israelite army. And what happens in verse 4, it says, a champion named Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. And it tells us that he's huge. 
He's maybe eight feet tall. His height is debated. Uh, he's covered in armor. And again, Robert Alter tells us that it wasn't normal in Hebrew narrative to describe all of the armor like it's described here. And so he says, likely what the author is doing is he really wants us to know this guy is covered in the latest and the greatest. This guy is covered in high-tech armor, right? And he, he's fully protected. And so Goliath, this Philistine, comes out and he starts taunting the Israelites. And in verse 10, he says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Send out one of your guys and we'll fight. And this was what was known as and used often in combat at the time was called single man combat. And it was efficient. Um, it kept them from losing all of their men in battle, right? Instead of sending two armies out and having lots of people die, uh, you just have one person die. And that's what he was calling for. And it says that Goliath would come out every day for 40 days, twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, and he would taunt the Israelite army and he'd call for them to send somebody out. And the scripture says, Saul, the king, Saul and all the Israelites were terrified. They're terrified. And then David arrives. Now, David is not arriving as a warrior. He's not arriving as a soldier. He's actually arriving to bring snacks to his brothers. He's running an errand for his dad. David isn't huge. He's a young man, a boy. He's the youngest of eight sons, and his primary job is to tend his father's sheep. So he's a shepherd. And he shows up again with snacks that his father said, hey, go take these to your brothers as they're facing this battle. And he's talking to his brothers and Goliath appears again, verse 24. And it says that when Goliath appeared this time, the Israelite army retreated again in great fear. So David, this young man, this boy says to King Saul, Verse 34, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant, me, David, I will go and I will fight him. And Saul replies, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul says to David, go 
the Lord be with you. I think he's kind of like, okay. I mean, you're our only option right now. And maybe he started to feel a little bit of concern. And so in verse 38, Saul starts to dress David in his armor. He puts his tunic on him. He puts his armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David's got his sword and all these things. And then David looks to Saul and he says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David takes off Saul's armor and then he took his own staff and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept getting closer and closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was just a little boy and he was handsome and he was glowing with health and Goliath despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come come at me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the, of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. And then Goliath comes closer to David to attack him. And we know the story, right? David picks up his sling and a sling was actually a weapon. It was used in battle. It was used to fight. And it wasn't a slingshot. We, we have that image. It was a sling, the kind that you, you, you hurl over your head and then he slung it at Goliath and he hit him right where he was vulnerable. And Goliath goes down and he dies. So what I wanna do is I wanna compare and I wanna contrast the courage that we see from Goliath and the courage that we see from David as they dealt with this challenge. Because I think it has something for us in it. You see, both David and Goliath, both had weapons or a weapon. Both of them had an intent, what they wanted to accomplish. And they both had faith. Here's Goliath's courage. Goliath had faith in himself, right? He had faith in his size. He had faith in his high-tech armor and weapons. Goliath is the guy looking in the mirror who's saying, I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. Nothing can touch me. I have all the technology. I can win this fight. I can do it. And this is actually a popular kind of courage today. 
It's the kind of courage that says, bolster up your self-esteem. Deny all your fears. Visualize your desired outcome, right? There's books written on this. That's Goliath courage. And then there's David. That while Goliath had faith in himself and in his technology, David had faith in the God of Israel. And David had faith in the God of Israel because he'd had experiences with this God, right? He'd known God to rescue him from lions and bears. He'd known God to use his ability with the sling to protect himself. He'd known God to do providential things in his life. And then there's Goliath. Goliath has this intent of being known as a victorious warrior. He's going to save the day for his people. But David's intent was different. David's intent was to make God known, right? He said it a couple of times. I am going, when this happens, people will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know of this God. Goliath's faith was forged by idealizing his abilities, the power of positive thinking. David's faith was forged in the everyday. Because again, David was a shepherd and he saw God work in his life and protect him in the everyday. In the everyday, David was faithfully running errands for his dad. And one of those errands coincidentally landed him in this situation where he was able to put God's power on display. Was it a coincidence? No. It was God's providence worked out in the everyday. Goliath was denying any kind of fear, and yet David doesn't deny his fears. He invites God into those fears. He invites God into those places. He believed in God. And the author and theologian Eugene Peterson says, the most human thing we ever do is believe in God. The most human thing we ever do is believe in God. And I love, again, I love that David's faith and his courage is being worked out in that every day. He's living his everyday moments, just like you are, just like I am, going to work, running errands, doing those things. But what David did that I hope we would begin to do more of, that I would begin to do more of, is David didn't just live his every day. He prayed his every day. He prayed his every day. We know this because as we've talked about, David is the author of over half of the Psalms and Psalms were prayers. We've given you this prayer guide because we wanna be people who just pray the every day. And when you read David's prayers in the Psalms, you see that he's praying his fear. 
He's praying his joy. He's praying his love for God. He's praying even his disappointment in God. You hear David crying out, where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me, God? And also, oh God, thank you. You are my strength. You are my rock. For David, everyday moments were an opportunity for conversation with God. And so as we seek to apply this, what do we do with this? One thing I hope, again, that we would do is I hope that we would be people who pray our every day. And then what I hope we wouldn't do is I hope that we wouldn't be people who put on the courage of Goliath, right? That we try to muster up faith, that we try to muster up a positive thinking, that we banish our fears and we don't even face them. And the other thing that I hope we don't do is I hope we don't borrow somebody else's armor. David was tempted to do that as Saul was putting his armor on top of him, right? And Eugene Peterson, again, has this great insight. He talks about when we, when we need courage, what can often happen is that we have all these people around us. He says, all around us are people who care about us, and they're suddenly trying to help, and they're piling armor on us, dressing us up in equipment that is going to qualify us for the task even though it didn't seem to be doing them much good. He says, we get advice, we get instruction. We're sent off to training workshops. We find ourselves with an armload of books. We listen to them and we, and we do what they tell us. And then we find that we can hardly move. He says, David removed the helmet, he unbelted the sword and he took off the armor. It couldn't have been easy to do that, to walk away from the preferred expertise, but to, have, but to have gone to meet Goliath wearing Saul's armor would have been a disaster. Borrowed armor always is. David needed was what was authentic to him. David needed what was authentic to him, what he knew, who he was, what God had worked into him in the every day. He needed a sling. He needed a stick. And we need to move forward towards our challenges and in our challenges and in our fears. We need to move forward with what God has given us, what God has given you. Church, would we be a people who move in our authentic self, formed and being formed by the God who created us? Would we move with the talents that God has placed in us, that God has placed in you? Would we move forward in authentic, unceasing prayer, praying our every day, would we move in the biblical assurance of God's presence? Would we move with what God has given us? And the most beautiful thing that God has given us 
is he has given us himself. He has given us himself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood this. Remember, those were the three guys that got thrown into the fiery furnace. And they declared this. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And then here's the key line. They said, but even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold that you have set up. Because even if God does not deliver us from this, he is still our God. We will still worship him. You see, that's the problem with false courage. It's trying to work to a guarantee that the desired outcome has to come about. But the courage of David was grounded and founded in the beauty of his God. Jesus knew this when he knelt in the garden, right? Before he went to the cross and he prayed to God the Father and he asked for the burden of the cross to be removed from him. But he said, not my will, yours, Father. And we know that God did not remove the burden of the cross, that Jesus faced the cross and he went to the cross and the scripture tells us that he actually did it with joy because the most beautiful thing for Jesus was the will and the way of his father. We don't muster up faith. We receive it. We receive it from the one whose faith we put our faith in. We receive faith from Jesus. He's the object of our faith, but he is also the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of great witnesses, those who have gone before us with faith, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of our faith. Another version says the author and finisher of our faith. Our faith is a gift. It's a grace from Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We don't wanna muster up faith. We don't wanna muster up the way that we're supposed to live. We wanna consider Jesus. We wanna consider Jesus and his courage will be formed into us. It will not be an act of the will, but it will be it will actually be the response of a transformed heart. Would we consider 
Jesus. Because see, here's what happens when you consider Jesus. When you consider Jesus's unconditional forgiveness of you, you find yourself having the courage to forgive. Consider Jesus and his enduring patience with you, and you'll have the courage to be patient with others. Consider Jesus and his joyful obedience of going to the cross, and you'll have the courage to do hard things. Consider Jesus and his kindness to a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And you'll find yourself having courage to be kind to those who are hard to be kind to. Consider Jesus and the self-control that he had in the face of suffering and in the face of misunderstanding. And you'll grow in the courage of self-control. Consider Jesus and his faithfulness to his friends who denied him. And I think you'll find yourself having courage to be more faithful. And what we want to do today is we want to consider Jesus as we come to this table. Jesus, who courageously allowed his blood to be spilt for us and his body to be broken for us, that we might become whole. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he sat with his friends and he took a cup and he said, this is my new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. And he took some bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Oh, Jesus, we can barely speak the words of praise that are in us to acknowledge your beauty, your courage to go to the cross, not for you, but for us, and to do it with joy, knowing that it would mean a way for us towards wholeness, that your death on the cross would make a way for us to have intimacy with you and with the Father and with the Spirit. We thank you. We thank you. We consider you. And we're thankful that you are shaping yourself into us, that you're making us like you, that you're making us new, that you're making us whole that we might live in a courage that comes straight from your transforming power.
would you give us the courage we need today for the things we face today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.